0: This is Cultural Debris with host Alan Cornett. Welcome back to Cultural Debris. The reception of the first episode was beyond what I expected, and for that I am most thankful. If you could take a moment to subscribe and to leave a five-star rating or even a brief review, it would be much appreciated. The idea of cultural debris casts a wide net, but it emphasizes that which is passing away or has passed away and efforts, perhaps futile efforts, to rescue or to renew them. Classic men's clothing is an area of interest to many of those with an interest in the permanent things. Classic women's clothing too, I suppose, but I don't know nearly as much about that. When talking about classic men's clothing, particularly the American variety, One can't talk long without bringing up Brooks Brothers. In 2018, Brooks Brothers celebrated its 200th anniversary. In 2020, Brooks filed for bankruptcy. Brooks Brothers became synonymous with the Ivy League look and was captured in a song by a group called the Princeton Triangle in 1957. They sang, and I'll simply read to save you from that, Though you've... Never been to college in your live-long life never looked beyond the cover of a book. You can convince every chap that you're a Phi Beta Kappa if you've gone and got that Ivy League look. When the weather gets too chilly for Bermuda shorts, take those red flannel longies off the hook. Just be sure that that trap has a button-down flap. You've got to have that Ivy League look. Alexander, they say, tried to conquer the world with a helmet and a shield to boot. He should have known he would fail with all that armor and mail when all he needed was a Brooks Brothers suit. I was first introduced to Brooks Brothers when I was an undergraduate. I picked up a book called Elegance by a writer I didn't know at the time named G. Bruce Boyer. His writings have had A profound impact on me since then. His chapter on Brooks Brothers inspired me to write off to Brooks. This was back when you sent actual letters and got actual catalogs. I wrote off to Brooks Brothers and requested a catalog and they mailed me one. And it wasn't long before I bought my first Oxford cloth button-down shirts. I've been wearing them ever since. I even had the opportunity to work at Brooks for a couple of years, including the anniversary year. I opened a store here where I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and in exchange for a few hours a week, I was able to avail myself of the employee discount. Regrettably, it was also during that time that Brooks hastened its move away from its classic line of clothing. Working for Brooks is a trade I share with the poet Spencer Reese, who wrote a poem called The Clerk's Tale. Let me share a few lines, and I will link the poem in show notes. Spencer Reese writes, I'm 33 and working in an expensive clothier, selling suits to men I call sir. These men are muscled, groomed, and cropped with wives and families that grow exponentially. Mostly I talk of rep ties and bow ties, of full Windsor knots and half Windsor knots, of tattersall, French cuff, and English spread collars, of foliards, Neats, and Internationals. Of pin cord, houndstooth, nail head, and shark skin, I often wear a blue, pinstriped suit. You should read the entire poem. I will throw in that really the only tie knot you need is a four in hand, and that will capture the Ivy League look and the Brooks Brothers look as well. I will recommend to you a couple of books about Brooks Brothers, one published by Brooks itself called Generations of Style, and you can buy it on the Brooks Brothers website. I just checked a little bit ago, and at the time of this recording, it's on sale. The great art publishing house Rizzoli also published a gorgeous coffee table book called Brooks Brothers 200 Years of American Style. And don't miss Bruce Boyer's writings about Brooks Brothers either, and I'll link some of his writings in show notes. My guest today, like me, is a decades-long customer of Brooks Brothers, Dr. Samuel Goldman of George Washington University. He is executive director of the John L. Loeb Jr. Institute for Religious Freedom and director of the Politics and Values Program. He not only is a literary editor of Modern Age, a journal founded by Russell Kirk, but he also recently published an essay on the bankruptcy of Brooks Brothers in First Things magazine called Lamb to the Slaughter. Join Dr. Goldman and me as we discuss his article, The History of Brooks Brothers and Its Possible Future. (music) Professor Samuel Goldman, welcome to Cultural Debris. Thanks for
1: having me, Alan.
0: I appreciate you being on. You are a professor at George Washington University and also literary editor of Modern Age. So what does a literary editor, what's a literary editor in charge of?
1: Well, it's a fancy word for assigning uh, book reviews and preparing them for publication. Um, but in addition to books, um, I try to seek out writers who are saying interesting things about matters of arts or culture um, that might not otherwise fit into the
0: magazine. Gotcha. So, well, uh, Modern Age, of course, was founded by uh, my old boss, Russell Kirk, and so is of particular interest uh, to this to this podcast, or at least to the podcaster, so I, I don't know if, if, if anybody else out there is interested, but I, I was encouraged to see sort of a renewed focus on modern age uh, a couple of years ago, I guess, and so that's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged that it's continuing on.
1: Well, it's, it's not only continuing, but thriving, um, and even more than any efforts of mine, um, we really have to thank uh, the uh, current editor, Dan McCarthy, um, who has revitalized the whole enterprise. So I'm, I'm happy to um, accept my share of reflected glory, but it's really uh, Dan's work that's restored modern age to what I think is its... Rightful position um, in the conversation among conservatives, but not only among conservatives.
0: Right, Dr. Kirk's vision for it, of course, was was to be a I think a widely read publication, not not just a niche publication, which which it may have become to some degree over the years well i'm
1: i'm reluctant to uh criticize any of my predecessors um that lack of gratitude would itself be incompatible with uh russell kirk's uh example i think um but it is our our goal uh, to make modern age appealing to readers who are not immersed in the conservative movement. And I like to think that we're having some success doing that.
0: Well, I will certainly commend Modern Age to uh, to our listeners and hope that they will seek it out. We have far more pressing matters to discuss, however, because you have recently published an article about the possible demise and perhaps revitalization of something else of of great import to Americans, and that is Brooks Brothers.
1: Well, at least of great import to some Americans, uh, <laughs> among among whom uh, both of us are included.
0: That is correct. That is correct. So so we're here because we both uh, have a love uh, for for Brooks Brothers. I am a uh, I am a customer of going on three decades, not quite there, but close. So. Uh, and and so there have been some dark times during the past 30 years
1: there have um the the recent um declaration of of bankruptcy is only the final phase of what many observers consider the 30 or 40 or even 50 year decline of Brooks from its heyday um, in the 1950s and early 1960s.
0: So you recently published an article in First Things uh, with the uh, the rather dire title Lamb to the Slaughter, of course, a play on, on Brooks's golden fleece, um, emblem that that, that it has used traditionally and and harkens back even centuries before Brooks Brothers adopted it. Uh, But Brooks is really is an American institution. In fact, last year celebrated its 200th anniversary. So why is Brooks Brothers important?
1: Well, in one sense, Brooks Brothers is important because of the role that it has played in American history, not a starring role, but a significant secondary role. Um, It's not only the oldest continually operating producer of clothing in the country, but has also uh, dressed um, virtually all of our presidents and many of our great statesmen as well. Uh, Probably the most important example is Abraham Lincoln, who was wearing a Brooks Brothers coat um, with a special lining embroidered with the phrase one country, one destiny um, on the night uh, that he was uh, assassinated. And it's, it's just sad, at least to those of us who care about historical continuity um, that this institution seems to be threatened. Um, But more specifically, Brooks has been, especially in the 20th century, um, ground zero for virtually every significant innovation in men's clothing and more than a few in women's clothing um, as well. And it is doubly sad to see that history um, reach this unfortunate condition. We don't know exactly what's going to happen to the company at this point. Uh, I have read that it has found a buyer, um, although the plans of those buyers for Brooks aren't clear. Um, And I'm afraid, as I think um, some of the other uh, enthusiasts for Brooks, are afraid that it's going to end up um, as the producer of piles of low-quality, indistinguishable goods um, on dusty shelves in a shopping mall somewhere, um, and that that really would be too bad.
0: Right. I mean, and Brooks has has certainly already dabbled in that especially with with its 346 outlet stores that, that you can go to and at different outlet malls and and of course like all those outlet stores rarely actually have anything from the main line but actually produce uh, items specifically for that that are that are sort of knockoffs of their own merchandise really.
1: Um, yes I and, think that's I think that's that's well put they're already knocking themselves off.
0: And of course, the 346 line, and 346 is a is a reference to the, uh, to the traditional, uh, main office, main store of Brooks Brothers in New York. Uh, the the old 346 line was actually a a very high quality subline within Brooks Brothers itself. You can, I, I am I am a um, a long time, uh, of thrift stores and brooks brothers items from years gone by always catch my attention and so i have a my my current favorite overcoat is an old 346 line brooks brothers charcoal tweed that's uh it's a it's a wonderful coat that i would guess dates from the 50s maybe the 60s with brooks brothers it's hard to date some of those things which is part of the appeal of, of brooks brothers of course
1: and the fact that you can own and wear a coat of that age reflects the really extraordinary quality of some of those classic products, which is almost impossible to find today, no matter how much you spend. Um, when you unearth um, old Brooks pieces uh, at a thrift store or or on eBay, um, it's really incredible that uh, they're they're virtually bulletproof and continue can one can continue to wear them for years. I don't know of any other brand of which that's true.
0: Uh, it's certainly it's certainly hard to find anything. I mean, like you were saying, if if you were to find a coat of this quality today. It would cost easily over a thousand dollars and maybe much more than that. Uh, and and it has lasted 50, 60, maybe 70 years already. It can, it will certainly outlast me unless, uh, you know, some something tragic happens to it. But it's well, let's it's, hope not, right? It's in. There, hopefully I'll, I'll, uh, unlike, unlike Lincoln, I won't, I'll avoid wearing it to theaters to, to protect it perhaps. but and,
1: and, in some uh, ways, and in some ways that encapsulates the difficulty of the men'swear business, um, not only in recent times when traditional styles have been challenged by um, more and more casual tastes, but even in the time when most men did wear, suits and ties most of the time, Um, a good suit lasts for an awfully long time and you don't need that many of them. Right. So this is a business that was never easy um, and I think has become more and more difficult in recent decades as production costs have increased and as demand has waned.
0: Well, of course you and I are very familiar with Brooks and perhaps some of our listeners are not as familiar with some of the key items that they they're known for. Probably the most famous uh, item is the the polo collar button-down collar oxford cloth shirt which uh, Brooks brought to the US and has become synonymous with American Men's wear, uh, and and of course has become during the twentieth century an iconic uh, piece of clothing.
1: Well, the the uh, so-called polo collar or, or button-down collar, um, as it's more usually known, um, is a symbol not only of Brooks, and Brooks is not the only producer of these shirts, although they did um, claim credit for uh, introducing them to the United States and remain the most famous. Um, But really it's, it's a symbol of a uniquely American approach to style that emerged in the 20th century and reached its, its peak uh, in the decades following the second world war. And what makes it uniquely American um, and, I think, appealing even now so many years later is that even though it includes the traditional elements of the men's wardrobe that were established in a more or less stable way in the middle of the 19th century, um, it is much more casual and relaxed than the characteristic versions um, found in uh, Britain, which is the main inspiration for Brooks, but also in the style traditions of other European countries. And Brooks somehow captured this magic that no one else has entirely figured out, um, how to be uh, traditional and even a little bit formal, but also uh, relaxed um, and and stylish, um, without ever seeming vulgar or affected. And the the um, Oxford cloth button down shirt, the polo collar collar shirt, um, encapsulated that that alchemy um, better than any other item um, that they ever produced or sold.
0: So if we were to if we were to uh... Paint a picture of uh, sort of, the, I guess, the classic Brooks Brothers business attire. You would start with with the Oxford button-down shirt in perhaps white or even, if you're daring, pink because uh, Brooks made, made that a staple. You would have a navy or maybe gray uh, sack suit with three-button roll to two, button at the middle button, no darts, of course, soft shoulder, no pleats on the on the trousers, and maybe some shell cordovan uh, tassel loafers to uh, to finish it off.
1: And you would look good today. Uh, you would have looked good if you had your photograph taken fifty years ago, um, and I dare say you would have looked good at just about any point um, since World War One. And I can't think of any other outfit um, that would allow you to fit in over the course of a century without anyone batting an eye at it.
0: Absolutely and that and that look though as you were saying is is not only quintessentially brooks but it's quintessentially american that's not that's not something that you would see in europe certainly.
1: No uh, unless someone it,
0: was consciously trying to to capture an American look.
1: And that's and that's what happened um, in the 50s and 60s in Britain, especially, when jazz musicians and other Bohemian types began to cultivate a version of the Brooks Brothers or Ivy League. Look um, in a way that was self-consciously rebellious um, compared to a more structured and, and buttoned-up um, uh, standard, which was uh, which was typical um, typical there. So, if you enjoy these things as we do, and perhaps one or two other people do, um, part of the appeal of Brooks and of the style that it pioneered, is that it is indelibly American. Um, And certainly um, at any time until fairly recently, if you were to uh, enter a restaurant or um, attend an event anywhere in the world, dressed as you described, you would have been recognized um, as, as an American.
0: And it wasn't simply business attire, the boardroom, say, that that really carried that look. But as you were saying in the in the mid-century, you see the look being exported. Uh, and one of the ways that that happened was through jazz, which is sort of, from our perspective, maybe a surprising place. But a lot of uh, of early jazz musicians wore that, especially the the button-down shirt, but but a lot of the sack suits as well. Plus, uh, the the Japanese uh, in in the post-war period really latch on to the Brooks look and the Ivy League look that it was associated with.
1: Yeah, that that's right, and it evokes, for that reason, a a period of shall we say uncomplicated romance with America. Um, when American culture, uh, American music, American movies, American style really did offer a unique and appealing vision of what the future might look like, um, including in societies like Japan um, that had been not only Virtually destroyed in the Second World War, but destroyed at at American um, at American hands. And wearing these clothes was a way of staking a claim to participation in that new future, which was prosperous. To be to be sure, um, you mentioned the expense um, of Brooks Brothers clothing earlier in our conversation, and it it, it has never been cheap, um, but also democratic. Um, Brooks, I I think, um, excelled at um, conveying a sense of attainable luxury, such that you didn't have to be um, a millionaire or uh, an English Lord or a CEO. Um, but if you were relatively successful, you could walk into the famous store at uh, 346 Madison Avenue and buy a polo collar shirt or, or a sack suit. Um, and you could emerge looking as good as anyone in the world. And that democratic or egalitarian element um, is among the features of Brooks, or at least Brooks at its best, that seems to be disappearing today, where the market for clothing, as for so many other consumer goods, seems to be split between the extremely high end which is out of reach to all but the very rich, um, and very low quality, but very cheap goods that are marketed to everyone else.
0: So you are a, a Brooks wearer, I'm sure. What, what are your earliest memories of Brooks? How did you become a Brooks Brothers customer?
1: Well, like uh, many of their customers, I was brought there by my father uh, for my first suit or maybe for a a, a Navy blazer um, when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And my father was not a particularly stylish man. I should say is not, um, because he isn't dead and it's not impossible that he may listen to this. Um, so if you're listening Dad, uh, I know that you're still alive. Um, but he was of a generation, um, that still acknowledged Brooks as the place that you went to look respectable. Um, and that was 35 years ago or more now. Um, and I have remained, a customer since. Although I should say that like many longtime Brooks customers, I have bought less and less um, of their stuff in recent years as the style and quality have both declined. And I think that's part of the reason that the company finds itself um, in such dire straits today.
0: Well, I think that, that uh, there's been an ever narrowing group of items that the traditional Brooks customer would feel comfortable buying. So they they kept they maintained a lot of their their core uh, items such as such as the button down. But instead of it being a featured item, it became sort of a side item that they maintained, really, I think for legacy purposes. They did maintain their necktie, uh, their necktie line, like it was, I think. It was made in New York, and, and they weren't importing neckties, at least. And their shoe line was, until very recently, still reliable, but it is no longer. And so that's uh, it, it kept narrowing down and excluding, I think, that, that old traditional customer who wanted that Brooks Brothers look, and they couldn't find it anymore.
1: And as it became more difficult to find at Brooks, um, some of its traditional uh, rivals, such as J Press, but also um, uh, new alternatives, became more appealing to people who really just wanted to buy what you could get at Brooks in the 60s and 70s, and perhaps even as late as the 80s, but had become very, very difficult to find there.
0: Right. Of course, you mentioned J. Press, which uh, is now uh, now owned by uh, a a Japanese group uh, and is very big in Japan. I understand. Uh, uh, But you've also you've also, of course, got the 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 looming white uh, white elephant, I guess, of of, uh, Ralph Lauren, who got his own start at Brooks Brothers and once freed from Brooks Brothers, has really, in some ways, kept the Brooks Brothers look more alive than Brooks Brothers has.
1: And Ralph Lauren, I, I think, um, was perhaps the first, or certainly among the first, to perceive that Brooks could no longer sustain, sustain itself. And, um, as it existed by the late 70s, I think that was part of um, his his genius, um, which is hard to deny if you have any interest whatsoever in style or the business of style. Um, uh, he had actually worked at Brooks, I think, briefly as a salesman in the mid 60s, and what he realized more or less explicitly is that all the fun had gone out of it. And it's important to remember that even though we now associate Brooks um, with the gray flannel suited businessman of the 1950s, um, it had a previous peak of popularity in the 1920s when it was much more shall we say, uh, uh, flexible um, in its style than it later became, and these these were fun clothes for people who like to have fun in the jazz age. Um, Ralph Lauren realized that that was no longer the case, and as he developed um, his own brand, which um, of course is known as Polo, and there was as a matter of fact, um, some legal dispute uh, between Ralph Lauren and Brooks about his right to use that term. Um, he, he began looking for a way to bring the, the, the fun um, and the flamboyance and I dare say the the sex back into Um, Brooks Brothers. And he did that by combining elements of the traditional or Ivy League style as it was available at Brooks with elements of old Hollywood and even um, a sort of imagination of the old West. And he was so successful in doing that, that I think he helped undermine or at least hasten the collapse of Brooks Brothers because many of the people who might at an earlier time had become Brooks Brooks uh, customers ended up as polo customers.
0: And if we think about Brooks as, as a cutting-edge company, I mean, we talked about the, the button-down collar, which at the time, uh, late 19th century turn or the 20th century when it was introduced, was a, was a revolutionary thing. Uh, Brooks Brothers was, uh, if not a, an introducer, at least a popularizer of seersucker, of Madras cloth. Uh, of they were the inventor of the fun shirt, which is a a, sh- a shirt made of panels of different cloth. So you have a, you have you know four or five different patterns within the shirt. Those are things that that Brooks really pioneered in American clothing that are. Edgy, I guess, for their time, certainly. Uh, but like you said, they they've become associated with that sort of that kind of gray flannel uh, look. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course. No, no, <laughs>
1: not at all. Um, but it it's useful to remember, as as you point out, that. Part of the, the genius of Brooks um, and what was distinctive about it, especially earlier in the 20th century, was the way that it adapted items um, from Britain, which was especially at that time, extremely rule bound uh, in its approach to, to clothing, to a much more flexible um, American American lifestyle. Um, so you mentioned some examples. Um, others include the Shetland sweater, uh, the camel's hair polo coat, and even um, the the reverse stripe or so-called rep tie. Um, at the turn of the 20th century, these things were worn in Britain only for casual purposes. They were, they were strictly sportswear. Um, and Brooks appropriated and marketed them for a much wider range of purposes. So part of the the irony is that what in 1960 or 1965 looked like a very formal, uh, buttoned-up businessman's outfit, half a century earlier um, would have been regarded as casual and, um, in certain circles, even slightly irreverent. You're listening to the Cultural Debris podcast.
0: So we've, we've referenced your article in in First Things, and I will commend that article to uh, our listeners, and I will have a link to that in show notes. But I want to reference another article uh, by Alan Flusser, who may not be well known to everyone listening, but is extremely well known in clothing circles. And he has uh, a recent article about ways to save Brooks Brothers, and I'll also have a link to that in show notes and I wanted to to get some of your views about his plan for saving Brooks Brothers, which of course they may or may not listen to uh, and and sort of what you think might work to save Brooks Brothers.
1: Well, so uh Flusser's suggestions um are I think consistent um, with the things we've been saying in this conversation. Um, he suggests, first of all, that um, Brooks should produce much less product than it has been, um, should concentrate on a relatively small number of high-quality items, that it should embrace its traditional heritage rather than running uh, from it as it is sometimes seemed to do, um, and, uh, and other ideas. Um, I think that the real challenge is that, of course, Brooks Brothers is, is a business like, um, all, uh, clothing producers. And although it's fun for us as customers and critics to talk about its heritage and how it reflects um, American culture, um, the goal really has to be to make money um, for for owners, um, whether a personal owner or for shareholders. And part of the problem that Brooks had was that as the company um, was sold and it changed hands a number of times between the late 70s and early 2000s, um, it began to chase volume um, at the expense of quality um, and the cultivation of a relatively small number of devoted customers. Um, So it was really transformed from a, a... very small chain, barely a chain, of around a dozen stores in 1970 into um, an international conglomerate. Um, there are today, I believe, about 500 stores um, around the world. And the economies of scale are just different. You know what, what you can sell at 500 locations is different to what you can sell at 12 locations. Um, So as I reviewed um, Flusser's suggestions, I sort of found myself nodding my head at most of them. But it did occur to me that they are compatible with a company that might have 50 locations in the United States and a few abroad, but probably not 500. Um, So if uh, Brooks Brothers is to succeed, um, it seems likely that it's going to have to close a lot of stores and return to cultivating um, a, narrower, uh, a narrower base of potential customers. And that's probably a hard sell um, to any audience of businessmen who may or may not care about the heritage of the brand, but certainly care about turning a profit.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, I th- I think that the current climate and of course their bankruptcy, one would imagine, will necessitate at least the closing of some of those stores. Uh, so that's so there will be at least to some degree a natural winnowing away of that. But you're talking about what Flusser is talking about is is a footprint that is a tenth of what it of what it has been. And like you say, that's, that's kind of a hard sell, but I agree with you that I think the downfall of Brooks has been it's, it's too big to maintain the kind of quality that it would need to maintain that you can't, you can't do traditional Brooks quality at that many locations.
1: It also strikes me that it's, Long decline encouraged enough competitors to arise that they may have occupied some of the space in the market that it might hope to recapture. Um, and I am not a businessman; I I, I don't know um, the the numbers, but I do wonder um, how many people there really are um, who are willing to spend something like $150 um, for a polo collar shirt, which seems to be the going price these days. There are clearly some, because I know that they continue to sell, but there are several companies that are Producing them, um, and that began to do so because Brooks stopped. So I don't know how easy it's going to be um, for Brooks to recapture territory that it had given up. Although um, I, I wish them, I wish them every success.
0: Right. You of course you have J. Press. Although interestingly enough, the the recent model J. Press button down shirt was made at the same Garland factory in North Carolina that. Made Brooks Brothers own shirts, so they were, and I don't know where J. Press is going to get their shirts now um, that the Garland factory is closing. But you had Mercer, of course, which uh, which was really founded f- to service a market uh, that Brooks had had walked away from. Their their sole focus was to recreate the old Brooks Brothers shirt. That's all they were trying to do. Um, and you have uh, Japanese. Uh, competitors like Kamakura that that has also focused on on recreating that, and and everybody knows Ralph Lauren has a button down Oxford cloth shirt that's obviously ubiquitous at this point, but is really aimed at that same uh, at that same market at a at a down a little bit of a down market price.
1: Yeah, you, you raise an interesting point about production um because the collapse of brooks and present recession um some of which is strictly economic but also um the encouragement to more casual dressing given by work from home um seems to be wiping away almost everything that remains of the american garment industry or at least um the the production um, of things like um, uh, polo collar shirts or neckties or tailored clothing. Um, So I I don't doubt that these things can be made somewhere, but it may turn out that it's simply no longer possible to make them in the United States um, as they had been for well over a century.
0: Well, Brooks had, I think, three remaining U.S. factories. They had their their necktie factory in New York, which had always been its proprietary, uh, own make factory. Then they bought the Southwick uh, suit factory, right, and and then had the Garland, North Carolina, uh, factory that made their their made in USA shirts. Although most the vast majority of their shirts. Have been made overseas, mostly in Malaysia. Recently, the the non iron uh, type shirts that they that they specialized in, but it it was announced within the well this past summer during the during the lockdown that all three of those factories were going to be closed.
1: That's right, and the history um, of offshoring um, suggests that once industries disappear, they don't come back. So if no arrangement is made to save those factories, and I, I believe that there are some attempts to keep the Southwick factory in Haverhill, Massachusetts operating. Um, I have no inside information, but I, I've read that um, on on the blogs. Um, that may be that may be the end of a storied industry. um, and there's a tendency, I think, in the circles of menswear enthusiasts to blame Brooks and to a lesser extent, um, some of its competitors for their Bad marketing and product decisions. Um, But I also think that um, we we should spare a word of criticism for the consumer, um, because it seems that uh, Americans are ever less willing to pay a little bit more for high quality goods produced in the United States, or at least in other countries where good working conditions and wages um, are relatively assured and companies like Brooks have only um, have only responded to that if customers prefer um, mass-produced low-quality crap that is 15 or twenty percent less expensive that's what they're going to get and that's the pattern um, that uh, I think has has dominated the um, Certainly, menswear um, for at least the last few decades.
0: Well, certainly, we've we've also seen a number of uh, of the even high end specialty shops and department stores in New York and and like places over the past few years that simply haven't been able to make it. It's not a matter of too many locations; they may just have one or two, but they they simply haven't had the demand to keep them open, and so it it does certainly speak to a bigger problem than brooks decision making and management which is certainly worthy of criticism but I, but but you you're absolutely right that that the consumer is to blame here as well
1: it's it it's a it's a source of continuing mystification to me i i must admit um and probably i'm i'm outing myself as a no longer so young fogey. Um, But of course I know that that styles change and that people aren't going to dress as they did in 1960 forever. Um, But I, I I find um, the proud slobbery of so many um, of, of my contemporaries very difficult to fathom. Sure. Sure. Clothing is expensive, and I, I don't um, expect anyone to take as much interest in it as I do. That probably wouldn't be healthy. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I am just baffled um, that people are so adamant um, about wearing uh, children's clothes, essentially shorts and t-shirts and uh, and sneakers, um, unless they are. Coerced rigorously into doing otherwise,
0: yes, and as you mentioned the um, the the work from home trend that we're seeing right now the zoom call world that we are living in uh, doesn't doesn't encourage an improvement on that it's uh, it's pajamas all the time I'm afraid these days
1: it certainly seems that way, and my my Hope, which I suspect will not be realized since I'm fairly pessimistic by nature, um, is that the work from home experience might encourage people to take a little bit more care and pride in their dress when we are finally released from house arrest. Um, it, it might feel like a, a treat to go outside and wear grown-up grown up clothing. That's certainly how I feel about it. Um, but I'm, I'm not confident that that will be the case. On the contrary, I worry that the present condition um, may be the final blow to reducing tailored clothing to a niche item. I don't think it's going to disappear completely. It serves um, a social function, weddings, funerals, and bar mitzvahs, and and so on. Um, but uh, as the struggles of some of the merchants you mentioned who cater to a clientele that certainly can afford their products, um, it's just people just just don't want to dress this way anymore. And if no one is buying or very few people are buying um no uh no amount of tributes by journalists and critics is going to keep brooks or any of its counterparts alive
0: well on that optimistic note um We'll will wind things up. I don't mean I don't mean to be fucking down on that one. No, I I think you're exactly right, actually, and which means that um, that you and I may be bidding uh, on the same items on eBay, uh, trying to uh, trying to find those last vestiges of of the brooks of old that are that are floating around out there.
1: Well, I have to say that I, I now feel vindicated in my decision a couple of years ago to stockpile um, the the polo collar shirts without without the lining. Um, As I discuss in my article, they were taken off the market for about 20 years and then reintroduced um, in about uh, 2015. And when that decision was made and they were available again, I bought far more than I would ever need because I was convinced that they were going to stop making them. Um, and my wife thought I was crazy, but now, now I, I'm having the last laugh. Or <laughs> that's I, right. Or I feel, feel vindicated um, because they will they will never make them quite that way again.
0: I, I'm sure that she will concede uh, your 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 foresight there.
1: Much much against her will, I must. Admit.
0: <laughs> well, I hope perhaps that there can be some revitalization. But as you said. Uh, it, it doesn't look promising. It, it is, I guess, uh, commendable that Brooks had a two-century run. That's not uh, something one sees frequently uh, by any means. And its legacy, uh, whatever uh, form Brooks itself takes in, in the coming years, its legacy in American clothing uh, will, will live on uh, without question. I
1: I think and hope um, that that's true. And um, if uh, our conversation or any um, of the other coverage uh, inspires at least a few people to take an interest, um, then I think that would be a victory.
0: Well, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to purchase a Brooks item that I assume will no longer be available. Uh, a couple of years ago, I I bought a pair of the, the uh, Alden for Brooks Brothers uh, Leisure hand-sewn uh, loafer, the penny loafer, which of course, the Brooks version is unlined and Alden makes its regular version lined. So I was pleased to pick up a pair. So I uh, I at least have those, and I assume that now that Brooks has canceled any sort of relation with Alden Shoes, which it had had for who knows how long, decades and decades, that that shoe will no longer be available uh, for for new purchases. Which is which is sad to see.
1: It is indeed. Although I, I wonder whether um, Alden might find a way to. Um reissue some of these things. So if anyone, if anyone um, at Alden is listening, please bring back the online loafers. Um, I,
0: <laughs> I, I personally will buy at least two pairs. Oh, there you go. a, a Guaranteed sales. So on that note, uh, Samuel Goldman, I appreciate very much you taking the time uh, to talk with me. And uh, as, as I said, I will probably see you on eBay.
1: Very, very likely. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, Alan.